Hi, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and welcome to Games on Film. back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. Today we're celebrating and uh, we're going back to movies based on video games. This is the whole flipping point of this podcast, if I'm, if I'm to believe. What are we doing today? Today's episode, we've set our sights. I see what you did there. On Hitman. Hitman. Like Batman, hmm. but a man who has his whole lifestyle... Centred around... Hitting. (laughs) Hitting things. Hitting things. Ouch! Oi! I thought he might have been bitten by a radioactive hit, but I'm not quite sure what a (laughs) a hit is. I do like to annoy Batman fans sometimes and say, Oh, was he... He was bitten by a radioactive bat, wasn't he? (laughs) No, that's not how it works. I know how Batman was made, for God's sake. Anyway... The the thing is, spiders are... Generally, people are more afraid of spiders than they are bats. So Mm. if it was about striking fear into his enemies... He should have really gone with a, a giant spider outfit. Mm. And I don't know how you get a spider radioactive because I've microwaved a few and they don't last that long, long enough to be bitten. Um, anyway, we're moving off tangent a little bit already. <laughs> Hitman then. Hitman. What is your history with the Hitman games, Rory? So the Hitman games started in 2000, developed by Danish developer IO Interactive and published originally by IDOS. And I guess the first game I played was Hitman 2, mm-hmm. which I believe you purchased for the Nintendo GameCube. I did purchase it. I purchased many of my games for the GameCube. I, from what I gather, the first Hitman game, okay, I've not played it, but I gathered that it was a good idea. There's some games where the concept is sound, but the game doesn't quite reach the... It's where it needs to be. Are you saying it was a good idea, just wasn't executed? That's exactly what I'm saying. Well um, enough. Mm-hmm. And Hitman 2, I absolutely adored on the old GameCube. Had a fantastic orchestral soundtrack back when that was a pretty unique thing to have. Like a full-blown orchestra. You mean it was just the wind section? God, Rory, <laughs> you're <laughs> killing me with these assassin puns. Anyway, uh, yeah, the thing is about the Hitman 2 game, as it's known, um, Hitman 2 Silent Assassin, it was 90% planning and 10% action. There's a uh, Rainbow Six, the original Rainbow Six games were also that thing where they, they are ostensibly a shooter, but the, to get the real... Well, best results, but also the most satisfaction, I think, was spending hours planning your exact route and it, you're just about pulling it off or completely going the other way and shooting your way out because it all went wrong. So the, the idea of these games was very much built on stealth and strategy. And at least with the initial games, a lot of it was in an open world-ish environment mm. or you'd be presented with a single location 
and you'd have to navigate it, but there are many different ways for you to complete your goal, your goal being usually killing someone you were told to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do, Agent 47? Mm. Well, I do what I'm told. I do what I'm told. <laughs> um, yeah, so pretty pretty damn unique, I felt. You, you can add a lot, don't get me wrong, lots of fun going around shooting loads of people uh, baddies and I suppose goodies it was kind of like a murder it's a murder simulator at the end of the day there's no um there's no sugarcoating it I think the the games very much took their inspiration from Luc Besson's Leon Mm. uh, aka The Professional as it's known in the States that opening scene in Leon is perhaps the best scene in that movie where he just systematically kills all the guards then gets to his target and each level of the at least the Hitman 2 game I played was basically a Luke Besson opening of Leon. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I I'd say that's definitely a key influence. I think on one of the extras of the Hitman movie DVD they literally say Leon the professional was uh, their inspiration for Hitman in terms of the mechanics, not necessarily specifically the character, because the character itself is uh, quite different to Jean Reno. Mm. Should we talk a bit about the character Agent 47? Yeah, so in the games, he is... Blank slate. A blank slate. And you learn a bit more about his backstory and how the reason he's called Agent 47. He's just a number, not a name. And you learn that he is a clone and genetically created uh, in order to become the most sort of effective killing machine and trained to do so. And is employed by an agency to go take out high profile targets as effectively and efficiently as possible. But he's very distinctive as much as he is a blank slate he is also incredibly conspicuous yeah there's i guess this is where things which happen in a game maybe don't translate so well into films even in the game though it's quite funny to have this this cube ball bald fireman walk into like a burning building where everyone's running out of and uh and then he goes in and kills somebody. I don't know. It's well, his 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 standard getup is well. He's very tall. He's very bald. He's very stern and severe looking. Mm-hmm. And he's usually wearing a suit with a red tie mm. and leather gloves, mm. which is already a little bit, you know, conspicuous. And then he also has a tattoo of a barcode on the back of his head. No one would notice this very out of. Mm. character looking person and pay much heed to them uh, in any yeah. context or situation the, the one the one westerner walking through like a japanese geisha house with a, <laughs> a suspicious plate plate of fugu fish <laughs> well I, I just after watching the hitman movie for this podcast i realized that on my xbox 360 i had downloaded hitman absolution years ago when it was like a games with gold freebie yeah. game mm-hmm and that was the fifth instalment. I hadn't played that before and apparently was a little bit of a, not reboot, but refresh of the franchise and was met with mixed reviews as a result. So it was the same sort of Hitman format. Um, was there as much planning? Well, that was the thing. There mm. wasn't really, there is strategy, but they changed it to be more, I think it was a post Resident Evil 4 game mm-hmm. where everything became a third person shooter mm. in that respect. And apparently it just isn't as strategic 
fell into that trap, it sounds like, where um, it was doing one thing very well and was a big hit with that niche, but they wanted to have more of more of the pie. So yes, I think it alienated the fan base a little bit as a result. Pay- playing it today without having to really sort of focus too much on the strategy and mechanics, I found it perfectly enjoyable and I, I got quite into it and I think I might go back and play some more of it. I only played like the opening prologue, which is largely a tutorial, but how the game slightly explains away the fact that he does stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a health bar and an instinct bar, and apparently you just press a button and your instinct gets depleted, and by doing instinct you can see through walls, and oh. you can also uh, walk past people who would otherwise more likely notice you if you're wearing a similar disguise or you know costume to them. If the I reason, may, if re- I, sorry, if I may... That sounds shit. <laughs> it's it's very much... A, yes. So basically the game explains instinct as being, oh, it's just your Hitman abilities and your skill and your training has allowed you to do this. But it's also just... It wouldn't work in the real world. Mm. So it is shorthand, you know, just like in the uh, Arkham Asylum games and you had like X-ray vision and all mm. this kind of stuff. Batman, he's just got lots of gadgets Hitman, he's just really, really good at assassinating things. Oh, I thought Batman had the powers of a bat. I'm nah. getting confused with Spider-Man, who in the recent films has loads of gadgets. Yeah, um, it's just all a big... Mm. Who has powers? Who has gadgets? We need a pros okay. and cons style chart. No, I mean, yeah, I was being a bit dismissive, but you kind of are right in terms of this instinct thing is... You know, in a game... I mean, sorry, in real life, when I'm out assassinating somebody, I could sense the air pressure and things like that. I, I do have heightened senses, which are dulled when I try and do the same thing in video games so um, fair play I've got I've got thoughts about how this film adapts the material which we'll get to a bit later but just on the games so after Absolution the franchise went away for a little bit but it came back very strong with the rebooted Hitman uh, episodic game and then there was a even better received sequel uh, last year Hitman 2 uh, which returned to a more open world structure and also had sort of timed elusive targets that people could try and try and track down at certain points in a sort of online mode and the first target was Sean Bean playing himself <laughs> you had to go and track him down and assassinate him wow and they did this whole advertising campaign for Sean Bean friend of the podcast star of Pixels and Silent Hill and Goldeneye you know, he has this reputation of always dying in all his TV shows and films and whatnot. So they made this whole thing about you have to kill Sean Bean. <laughs> I wonder how Sean Bean's really going to die. Oh, he's got lots of choice, hasn't he? He has. <laughs> I think all his cinematic career has just been him testing the water in a variety of ways. Yeah, just like actors maybe take certain roles because it means, oh, I wonder what I look like with this haircut. Mm. Um, I wonder he's... what I look like with a satellite dish falling into my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, so my head rolling on the floor. Mm. Guess the movies and TV shows and <laughs> yes. whatnot. Potential spoilers. We yeah. won't say what. In, I think it's, is it Lord of the Rings where a massive satellite dish falls on top of him? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, well, it's rolls mixed up now. Games on film fans would also be interested to know that as I started up Hitman Absolution, it has a very cinematic opening with lots of credits. And amongst the name of the credits is King Vidiot himself from Joystick's oh. John Grease. Wow. But I haven't got to his character or portrayal in the I'd, game. I'd love it if 
if Agent 47 had been tasked by the organization to eliminate King Vidiot. <laughs> it's, like a, it's a cameo. He's tootling around in a, on a little motorcycle. He's terrorizing the video arcade. Mm, in the penthouse suite. Um, the only other thing I could think of in terms of my history with the Hitman games, I mean, I loved Hitman 2. It was... It felt very unique, uh, especially on the GameCube when there weren't many games like that, mature games and things. But um, it got to a point where I enjoyed it so much that one day I decided to go home and try and assassinate my dad in a friendly way. But what I mean is I, I thought I would try and sneak in and sneak into the house and come up behind him and get him. And I arrived home in my car. I sneaked around the outside of the garden. I approached the front door and I'll flip and spring a spaniel staring out into the night. And I had no idea. Didn't anticipate canine interference. And I I think I actually literally had some meat on me. I think I had some corned beef. And I think I put that by the door and tried to go in the back door. But no, she just trotted over to the back door as well. And then my dad wondered what... Our dad, I should say, wondered what the dog was looking at and saw me and then I went bang 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 with my finger and I ran off into the night it's not an insane thing to do yeah it's not very 47 like either <laughs> no but it's, it's pretty difficult being a hitman let alone the best one while we're talking about agent 47 as a character we might as well get a little bit stuck in in terms of the casting so mm. I guess spoiler warnings from on here on out yes or here on in <laughs> one of the two so in the game, Hitman is portrayed as has been in all the games by voice actor David Bateson. But the funny thing about the actor is that he looks exactly like Hitman. He is tall. No, you keep bald. saying you keep calling him Hitman, but he's called Forty Seven. <laughs> I'm going to be. It's like Henry Hoover's, <laughs> or Hoover's in general. Tannoy system. Tannoy's. Yes, he's not Scotch Hitman. Tape. He is Agent Forty Seven. Okay, Tippex. Yes, so Agent Forty Seven. He looks. The same. I don't know whether they changed the design of him to fit the voice actor or they just cast someone who looked like Agent 47, but he's tall and bald and got mm. a very kind of sort of... I'm 99% sure they cast voice actors based on how they look. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best strategy, but it, it works in this instance because I think he's he's got a good voice. Is, is he bald in real life? Yeah. Crikey. That's what I said. Okay. St. Petersburg had seen its share of bullets and betrayal over the years. Not an easy place for a comeback. I suspect both guards and soldiers here are well-trained and highly suspicious of foreigners. I have to rely on the element of surprise. They don't expect me. And if I keep it cool, clean and quiet, they'll never know what hit them. Now, let's find locker number 137. So in casting for the Hitman movie, they originally, I don't know if you know this, but did you spot as executive producer in the credits, Vin Diesel? Yeah, I did. Mr. And Diesel. Mr. Diesel himself. And the reason he's executive producer is that he was originally attached to star as 47 mm. in the Hitman movie. But when the studios had issues with the budget and it got stuck a little bit in terms of development eventually he moved away from the project and moved on to 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 other films so they lost Vin Diesel as the original lead I got a lot of this information actually from 
uh, from Lights, Camera, Game Over, How Video Game Movies Get Made by Luke Owen. And uh, there's a really good chapter all about the Hitman movies with uh, interviews with the um, producer, Adrian Ascaria. So it was down to Jason Statham. I'd have him in everything. That's the I know. Thing. But they decided to go for a less obvious choice. Mm. But yes, the reason Vin Diesel walked eventually was the budget was originally 90 million and they slashed it down to 20. So Cripey. it takes a long time to extract 70 million from your script and your plans no, thereof. Exactly. So. Heads rolled, I'd imagine. Yeah. But they went with Timothy Oliphant. Mm. Uh, and interesting in this respect is that Timothy Oliphant passed on the role of Dominic Toretto in The Fast and the Furious. It's like when Bill Murray voiced Garfield, who was voiced by the guy <laughs> who voiced Peter Venkman in the Ghostbusters cartoon. It's exactly like that, I think you'd agree. Yeah, I would 100% agree. But all is not lost. Vin Diesel and Timothy Oliphant did appear in a film together, A Man Apart. So what comes <laughs> around goes around, I guess. Yeah. So funnily enough, my, my missus, my wife, loved this film she only knows timothy oliphant from his film and so when we were watching it the other night in preparation for the podcast she was looking at google images of timothy oliphant having never seen him with hair <laughs> and she spent the whole film saying he looks really weird with hair <laughs> he's got lovely hair hmm. he looks really weird bald i'd say C- can we talk about the baldness um yes i think so i feel like my opinion of this film has changed since i first saw it about eight years ago but I remember really taking against it when I first saw it. I had a few reasons. Um, some of them still are still here today. I have a real issue with the baldness in both this Hitman film and from what I see in the uh, the other one, which came out later. Because the whole point of Hitman is that he's a clone. The whole oh sorry, I'm doing it now. The whole point of Agent Forty Seven and and this League of Incredible Hitmen or whatever they're called, the organization. They they are cue ball bald. They have no hair growth whatsoever. They don't. They can't ever get hair growth. Is how I feel. It reminds me of there's a bit in Curb Your Enthusiasm where some kids have graffitied his house and used bald as a offensive term, and mm-hmm. uh, the police officers he's called one of them is bald, but he's like shaved head bald, and he said we don't really think of you as part of the bald community. That's a that's <laughs> a style you've cultivated yourself. <laughs> Very much so. And now I want each hit in Hitman to end with the Kirby enthusiasm music. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in in these Hitman movies, he's clearly shaved, and that really just kind of annoys me. It's like Mario or Luigi without a moustache. <gasps> like in the films. No, but um, I feel that some of the, many of the crimes levelled at the Mario Brothers movie, I can think of, I feel like are levelled at this. It, it, case in point, as I said, the games are 90% silent assassining and only and you only really do massive gunfights when things are going incredibly wrong. But a lot of what Agent 47 does in this seems to be incredible gunfights mm. um and the, and the lack of a board cap is a microcosm of this if i was making a hitman movie i would use makeup i'd have to give him a board cap i wouldn't just shave the head i feel that every time i look at timothy oliphant in this film i'm wincing at his mm. at the follicles on his head timothy oliphant's probably best known i suppose most recognized for deadwood and uh, Justify, 
<laughs> just the fly. Just the fly. <laughs> like Superfly. <laughs> well, Superfly just, is like or just, or he's just, just a fly. A, he's, he's just, just a fly. He's just a fly. He's not a Superfly. No, he's just, just a fly. Just a fly. Uh, justified. But you know, he's been in lots of other movies and also stuff. And Scream Two, I think. And yeah, I, I like him generally. I haven't actually watched Deadwood or Justified. But when I've seen him, I, I've always enjoyed his performances. Maybe not so much in Hitman, but we'll get onto that. The problem with his casting in this is that he's got quite a soft face. Yeah, there's that. I mean, I think I liked him more in this, this time around. And when I first saw it, I've, I've got problems with this film. But I really took against his head uh, the first time I saw this. And yeah, he's just not got got the face. And I know you're not going to try and cast somebody with exactly the same face as a video game character, but that's way madness. <laughs> that went madness or um, plastic surgery. But yeah, there's a hardness to him, and I think Jason Statham. If you saw Jason Statham with a dead, dead face, dead behind the eyes, deadpan face, he's got the face of that. But there's something. There's like a twinkle in Timothy Oliphant's eye mm. and um, there's a wry sense of humour and when I've, to him as well and when I first saw this film I'm like that's not Hitman and today I feel that's not Hitman but now that's been best part of a decade since I last played a Hitman game I could, I could enjoy him as this character for, as long as I never associated him with the Hitman character in the game okay yeah I can see that Timothy Olyphant, he has his own thoughts about the Hitman movie, and there was a recent interview with him in Rolling Stone uh, to promote Deadwood, the movie. They were asking him a question about... He basically had just bought a really expensive house, and then Deadwood was cancelled. <laughs> um, oh, I shouldn't laugh at people's financial... I know. Mm. But he basically said... They asked him whether he's, he did wind up selling the house, and he basically says no... And the reason why was that what we have to thank for this is the villain in Die Hard and a fucking bald head in Bulgaria shooting Hitman. That's what that phone call led to. How about the villain of Die Hard? I said, sure. And they're like, do you want to read the script? I said, I get it. I'm in. I just bought a house. Did you not hear? They just cancelled my fucking show. Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> what about this video game adaptation? Yes to that too. I'm in. I've got to make up some TV money. You know what though? Those experiences were equally valuable. Oddly enough, those kinds of experiences perhaps arguably more valuable than these, you know? Find yourself bald in Bulgaria doing some pile of shit. That will get you up a little earlier in the morning and make you work a little harder. You know what? Following that interview, I, I really respect him. I respect him loads more because mm. I, I felt that he was doing this um, kind of thinking that he was going to be the what ultimately became John Wick, I suppose. I got a massive John Wick vibe over on this uh, film. Mm. And I felt like he was... Tr trying to do his best badly but now i feel like he's just heart wasn't in it and he's giving it his is doing his best if that makes sense i think yes because in material i've seen on the extras and things like that he he kind of mentions how he's sort of flattered that he's been asked because it's sort of mm. his first big lead starring role in his own movie potential yeah. franchise so he's like well Sure, I mean, if they're thinking of me, then yeah, why not? Because I need the money and yeah, it's, not, it's, it's not top his, billing and whatever. It's not his fault that the casting agent thought of him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think if somebody called me up and said, Harry, do you want to be in Hitman? I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> why not? 
I haven't bought a house, but I could use the money. Yeah, that's no. Hitman change. Yeah, like, so I, I think I respect him more. I do think he's still miscast. I agree that I think he's fine in this film, if you don't think of him as being the Agent 47 in the Hitman video mm. games. But the thing is, is that he's not actually asked to do so much. There's very little dialogue, for instance. There's very little emoting. He basically just has to stand around and sometimes shoot things. <laughs> he's like, I can imagine him going full bore emoting, though, and being like, why must I kill people? Oh, yes, it's because I'm a hitman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm cursed. Um, Curse these hitman genes. Mm. Well, I think we'll talk about the rest of the cast and the story and stuff in a bit. But I think now's the time for my favourite part of the episode, <laughs> which is where we get to read a video box like it's flipping story time. Yeah, well, I picked up uh, this on Blu-ray. You mm. have it on DVD, but Ooh, it's two- almost the same stuff just mine is sharper yeah I, I, I see yours was two pounds which is um f- four times as much as mine <laughs> but this is replay quality guaranteed oh it means that uh i can read his barcode on the back of his head with the clarity oh of blu-ray god can you imagine if the the barcode on the dvd was the same as the barcode on his head <laughs> actually, actually you're gonna think about barcode battlers yeah i was gonna say barcode <laughs> battler for, for kids, kids who now are playing on their Nintendo Switches won't realise this, but back in the early 90s, the way we'd entertain ourselves is cut out the barcodes of cereal packets and scan them through a scanner and imagine that they were like weapons. Yeah, or monsters. Yeah, so we had a barcode battler and it came with some barcode cards mm-hmm. and you swipe it through like you would do um, a credit card. Yeah. And uh, you get stats, and then you use those to fight the other players' barcode stats. Yeah, it's basically Pokemon, but but married to a self-service checkout. Yeah, and also if the Pokemon were just numbers, and there was nothing else, no other graphics, just mm. a list of numbers. Fun times. But anyway, give, it us. <laughs> give us the plot of Hitman. Hitman, too extreme for cinema... Oh, sorry, I should say this is the extreme edition that I'm reading the back of. Can you imagine going to the cinema and they say, well, we've just realised this film's too extreme. Sorry, well, you'll get your money back. Sorry, we've cancelled all performances of Hitman because we saw it and it was too extreme for this cinema. Mm. What's that, rated 15? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there is there is an issue with the violence, so it did have to go through some cuts. So I think this extreme edition is about a minute's worth of extra violence. Mm. But I can't really think where. This is actually fairly bloody. And I appreciated the fact that a lot of it was squibs. Genuine squibs. A lot of it was blood spurts. It was proper, not computer augmented mm. crimson. One bugbear about modern action films it is the use of fake squibs, which they always look fake. Mm. And I understand why, because it allows for very fast resets. But, um, yeah, I think one major boon of this film was the authentic... Unless people were really being shot, I hope that didn't happen. (laughs) But it looked pretty real to me. So, Hitman, too extreme for cinema, roars to life with both barrels blazing in this hardcore action thriller starring Timothy Oliphant. What's happening to your voice? Die Hard 4.0. Shall I do it more like Hitman? 
a genetically engineered assassin with killer style and deadly aim known only as Agent 47, eliminates strategic targets for a top-secret organization. But when he's double-crossed on a mission, the hunter becomes the prey, as 47 finds himself ensnared in a life-or-death game of international intrigue and violent retribution. Who says hunter becomes the prey? Yeah, you say hunter becomes the hunted. <laughs> That's really or, strange. Or the predator becomes the prey. The person, the person writing the copy on the back of that is like, what's the expression? Hunter becomes the <laughs> prey? The employer becomes the employee? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, a spectacular action-packed film, four stars, says Nuts magazine. <laughs> Remember Nuts it sounds, at the end though, it's, what did you say? Let's read that. Oh, a, spectac- a spectacular action-packed film for stars, I thought you said, <laughs> as in for celebrities. There are those who speak of a man bred from the world's deadliest criminals raised by an exiled brotherhood of the church. His purpose, to rid the world of the evil that infects it. Most believe his very existence is a sin. But others know he is a necessary evil. I was raised, they didn't give us names. They gave us numbers. What was your number? 47. So that that was the plot. That was. I've got nothing to say about that. It doesn't give much about the detail, but if we just get stuck into the film now, mm. I think my main issue is that this is one of those films which is very overly complicated. I think mm. we're straying into Wing Commander territory in terms of something that's rather simple but just with layers and layers of extra plot baggage, which I can understand what happens after rewinding every few minutes and putting on the subtitles just to double-check I really got what was happening. Mm -hmm. So I understand kind of the plot, but the whys and hows are just really rushed through and can be very sort of blink or you'll miss it, where some major twist and they have a lot of characters with have similar names doing similar things and sometimes looking identical quite a lot of bold men in this film yeah that too well actually most of the bald men do have barcodes on the back of their head so at least you can tell they're in that vicinity they're not just like 
normal bald. They but are assassin bald. At one point, though, I thought um, there's, a, there's a Interpol agent played by Duggery Scott, and he's got a mate as well who's bald. And I wondered if his mate shaved his head just to make Duggery Scott feel better. <laughs> I wondered whether maybe he'll reveal that he's actually an assassin oh. as well. He's, he's, Jesus Christ! Reveal he says at one the point. barcode. It's like, hey, I've never looked at the back of your head. <laughs> oh yeah, jeez. <laughs> I, I, I was very confused as well, actually. Yeah, so we will do what we can, but we might just ignore whole plot points entirely for the sake of brevity. Mm, I... Because this is only 90 minutes, mm. but yet it's got like a plot which is a six-part miniseries worth of twists and set pieces, mm. and but all amounting to very little. But do you think that's down to, again, the budgets? Do you think the... Yeah, if it was a two-hour film, not a 90-minute film, the plot would have had a chance to breathe. Maybe. I think some of its plot... uh, There were some issues, apparently, with the final cut as well, and I think Mm. maybe, uh, yeah, allowing the plot to breathe has got lost in the edit. I do feel it's also quite convoluted, though. Instead of uh, the story flowing through the characters, they decide to make a twist, and that to give the appearance of being clever. yeah. Maybe it was clever because I said I couldn't follow it. Maybe I'm just <laughs> stupid. Well, I, I think the other issue is that for a 90 minute film, it's also really a slog to get through. And I feel like having the plot kind of rush past you mm. and you trying to catch up with it, as well as just some really kind of sloppy stuff well, joining everything, it, it means that you just lose interest. Yeah, I do feel I lost interest about halfway through. In fact, actually, about halfway through, I think that was the moment after... What episode are we on now? 30... 36. 36. I think that was, this is the episode where I was like, maybe a podcast about video game movies is a bad idea. Are you thinking we're reaching the uh, dregs of the well? Mm, maybe. I've seen what's coming up next. There's stuff to look forward to, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I remember in the past, when, when I first watched this film, there was... As I said, I kind of hated this film. And there's one scene in particular I was waiting for because it seemed so insane. I thought I dreamed it. But uh, no, and I think it's probably worth bringing up here because we're talking about the sort of the kind of mess of this film. There's a bit when Hitman, Ash Scheiser, um, Agent 47, he's being pursued by other hitmen. I'm assuming... Agent 69. <laughs> <laughs> agent 101. 101. Agent 42. I bet there's an Agent 007 there. Ha ha ha. So all the other hitmen are after 47 and they get inside a train and they do a classic Mexican standoff because Mexican standoffs are cool. Until you realise all but one of these people are on the same side. Why is everyone pointing guns at everyone? All the other hitmen are pointing guns at their compatriots and then their other gun at Agent 47. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that makes zero sense. Uh, that's, that really annoyed me then. And when I, I kind of almost punched the air when I saw it today, because well, the, the other day, because I was like, oh yeah, that did happen. It sort of fudges... Because the concepts. Well, we, exactly. I mean, he um, rather than guns blazing at the end of that Mexican standoff, he says something like, "Let's do this with dignity." They put their guns down and they reveal they all have little short swords 
down yeah. down their pants permanently in their uh, and thought, what's what's actually dignified about being shanked because because <laughs> could have been gone in the, got in the tummy and he'd be like oh, dignity <coughs> and um yeah that's my that's how i sound like when i'm being shanked yeah just just bits where like this would be cool rather than any sort of logical sense it also would have been the perfect opportunity for 47 to turn to the others and say, are you hitting on me? Oh, God. <laughs> Blimey, Riley. Maybe maybe it's just an extreme dating service, this organisation, where everyone gets bald, baldified, so you don't judge them on their hairstyles. Everyone's dressed the same. It's basically like naked attraction. Um, <laughs> Your next target has a good sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, on the whole, one of the big crimes of this film is that the whole hitman accruements, the the clones, the organisation, the, all that stuff, the fact that he's a clone, doesn't have any bearing on the plot whatsoever. At all. If you could have put any generic assassin in this, and, I mean, again, that's why I got, I kind of got a John Wick vibe, because uh, John Wick obviously came later, and but it has a similar sort of Guild of Assassins sort of universe, and... The, the rules of, of his organisation is threaded through and through the plot. But in this one, it doesn't make any difference that he's a clone or not. And, I, and I, you know, I don't want to see a film where he's like, oh my God, I'm a clone. And, and I get very bored of films like The Born Identity, but not The Born Identity, where somebody's discovering their past and that's the whole bloody plot. But mm. like I said, why is this a Hitman movie? But the creator of John Wick, the writer Derek Kolstad, has been tapped to make a Hitman TV series. Okay. That was announced in back in late 2017, and I haven't seen anything more about it since. Nobody ever will. <laughs> the idea of this agency uh, in the film known as the organisation and training and cloning these assassins, apparently that was more studio stuff that they wanted in the film. And the hope was that a sequel to this would have been the area where they would have explored his backstory and background. The way it's introduced in the film is, as you say, it's it's very spotty. It's very muddled. There's all this religious iconography which comes in later, like this crucifix key which shows up. He's in this church and there's... That's quite I'm, religious iconography, the church. <laughs> yeah. But I know in the games there's more of that. There's this whole religious aspect to it, right? I think, yes, if memory serves, the... Hitman 2, he's actually retired from being a hitman and he's living with a priest. Um, yeah. Like, under... That's a real odd couple scenario. <laughs> but no... The hitman and the priest. Yeah, you're right. Front and centre is the notion of whether or not he has a soul. As a as a clone, does he have a soul? But yeah, not mentioned to this at all. I don't even think he knows he is a clone. <laughs> Talking about the backstory of the character, so at the start there's this montage of little bald kids. Mm-hmm. And they're going through training, and you can tell that it's a very draconian regime because there's just a big sign that says discipline in big letters that they're all staring at. I see. And you see, um, you know, barcode being tattooed and a couple of the kids trying to escape and being shot. Turns out that the majority of that footage is recycled footage from the Dark Angel TV series starring Jessica Alba. Oh my God. And they inserted that into the film after shooting to try and add some backstory in this, mm. the cloning idea which was present in the games. So That's... they just recycled 
Jessica Alba TV show. Okay, that's really bad. But also, <laughs> but um, <laughs> annoyingly, that was one of my favourite bits in this film. <laughs> one of um, your favourite bits of the film the, was not actually made for the film. <laughs> the, the credits themselves are as tacky as tack can get that's not an expression but it's it's less of an expression than uh, the hunter becomes the prey <laughs> um but i did find this these this imagery quite uh, evocative and, and quiet and i did like it so yeah you have ave maria playing in the background yeah which is pretty on the nose but still it's very layered but again it would make more sense if it really tied into all the religious christian iconography mm. which plays a very small role at the end, but in a way that suggests it's mm. more important. In fact, the trailer for the film mentions that it's like an offshoot of a religious organisation that sort of rectifies sin and stuff. You know what? It's like flipping Assassin's Creed, isn't it? Yeah. I guess there is some attempt at the morals and ethics of 47 in this film, because at the start, uh, it has a framing device, which completely spoils the fact that the main character and the person who's out to track him down survive the events of the movie. Oh, you're talking about the scene now with... Um, with Dudray Scott. Scott. Oh, what's the expression? Is it in media res? Yes, let's say that. Sorry. When the film starts dropping you in the middle or something. I fucking hate these bits in yeah. films. It's so, so lazy. It's like, I don't have confidence in my opening... So I'm going to put a little bit of, ooh, how did they get here? But the thing is, is that it then proceeds to have a a sequence which is interesting and is in media res, but isn't a framing device. So 47 is lying in wait in the house of Inspector Mike Whittier. Mm -hmm. I don't think they ever say his name. I think they just call him Inspector the whole time. Oh No, I think they said Mike a few times, Uh. I'm pretty sure. You can tell he is someone important because he has, he lays down a badge Mm -hmm. and on the badge it says GIF, Mm -hmm. which I just assume means GIF now. (laughs) Yeah. But apparently he's an Interpol agent. I was confused by that because he's not dressed like Chung Lee. (laughs) The only other Interpol agent that we know. Yeah, that's that's what they dress like, surely. But he pulls a gun out at Inspector Mike. <laughs> you want to say gadget, don't you? Well, imagine Inspector Gadget was on the on the trail Now, now, 47. <laughs> go, go, Gadget. Garot wire. <laughs> <laughs> the efforts of 47 are called into question because he asks him while pointing a gun at him, how does a good man decide when to kill? And that's like the question that will frame the rest of the movie. Does it, though? And then is answered unsatisfactorily at the end because... I don't even know if they present a real answer to it. Hmm. So, I mean, flashing right to the end, the last shot of this film is him looking like a badass on top of a building behind a blue screen, (laughs) (laughs) or uh, in front of a blue screen, looking all hitman-y. He's killed another assassin who was trying to kill the female protagonist in this. Throughout the film, there's a hit put on on Agent 47. So there's a hit on him. And the film kind of ends with him killing the man who put the hit on him. But does that null and void any hit on him? I I would imagine if I was to put a a hit on somebody, then I was killed. I would still want my hit to happen. He he knows that people are still going to come after him. 
but he's kind of acting like a guardian angel to protect her. It just seems exhausting. Yeah, possibly. But also I think part of that is that's why the framing device is he basically says, look, I've given you an out, Mm -hmm. Inspector, so you can claim that you tracked me down and hunted me and you've finished your task because it's the Inspector's mission is to track down 47. So he stages a fake death scene of another agent, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, just don't come after me anymore. Job done. Mm. He's, he's kind of created a rod for his back because he's he's going to spend the rest of his life floating around. Um, I think she's called Nick Nicker, Nika, to stop her from being assassinated. I guess. And you know what? Sniper rifles can shoot quite quite some distance. Hey, spoilers for a deleted scene. Uh huh. If you watch the DVD, there's an alternate ending where she does get gunned down in the street right in front of him. Really? Yeah. What? <laughs> he misses the assassin and she just gets riddled with bullets on the street while he just watches. Oh. But then I think he probably takes a beat and says, you know what? That makes my life a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> Credits. It was getting to a point where I would have done the job myself. <laughs> but no, I was just interested that you said a potential sequel would have explored his background because where it kind of ends is like, is he kind of still on the run or something? Who knows? But anyway, not a fan of these these sort of bookendy type things like we get at the start. How'd you get out? You have a nice family. They're fine. Alive. Asleep. Are you going to kill me? If I was going to kill you, I'd have done it when you walked to the car this morning. Been gone by the time your body hit the sidewalk. And why are you here? To talk. But Mike, if you make me kill you, you will not go alone. Sit. Are you a good man, Inspector? I think. And yet you've killed men. Yes. I'm going to ask you a question. How you answer it will determine how this night ends. How does a good man decide when to kill? How does the film proper start then? Well, we see Hitman in action Agent on, 47. Uh, on a mission in Niger. And he's after some gang lord. In order to kill him, he has captured... The gang lord's brother filled his body with C4 and then detonates it remotely. And like a good bomb inside somebody. Yeah, there was there was a deleted... I know I talked about deleted scenes, but it's just kind of interesting because of how I think it could have potentially salvaged the film a little more. Can we call them bonus levels? Okay, so there's, <laughs> there's a bonus level. <laughs> I like this a lot. Where... Um, he explodes, but he survives and is rushed to hospital. <laughs> not, not he's the, pretty hardcore. Not, not the person filled with C4. I mean... You're going to make it. I can't feel my legs. <laughs> or my chest. Or my arms. So he's caught up in the explosion, but it survives. Is rushed to hospital. And then Agent 47 walks in dressed in full surgical mm-hmm. garb and then injects him with some poison fluid instead so it's more stealthy disguise introduces elements which are more like the game whereas this film cuts the chase and just he just explodes someone with a remote bomb i can imagine the producer saying this is this bit's too much like the game take it out (laughs) 
But that's just a little establishing uh, opening to introduce 47 and introduce the inspector who is on his tail. <laughs> He's in the next bed along. <laughs> in the hospital, say, like, hang on, that's not a doctor. That My doctor's barcode's entirely different. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about Dudray Scott at all? Yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, we do. I think he's kind of fun in this, but he's he's one of these actors who's who's almost who's almost made it throughout his career, which is a bit sad. He's got quite a uh, talking about faces earlier. He's got quite a powerful face. He's got quite intense eyes, and, and sadly, he's mostly known for the guy who was scheduled to play Wolverine until um, John Woo's Mission Impossible Two overran. Do you think that Judd Ray Scott would be doing the man, the music, the show, like <laughs> Hugh Jackman is? Yeah. Tap dancing on stage I'm and sure. performing numbers from Les Mis? He's going to do a show, I think, coming up called um, The Second Best Showman. He's <laughs> 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 the not-so-great showman. The not-so-great showman with like, lots, of, lots of number two hits. But I just... Mm, I don't know. What do you think of him first? Because I'm a bit conflicted about him in this film i think he's an energy which is maybe misplaced in this kind of movie but it's welcome because of what the movie is so he breaks up some of the tedium but he's a bit he's a silly character him and his and his mate what is it jenkins they are kind of thompson twins-esque um <laughs> but a bit more like as in tintin Hergé's adventures of hitman <laughs> But like I think the film, in terms, it, it has a sort of pulsating Bourne Identity score. So it wants to be a mix of Bourne Identity, James Bond, um, Luc Besson. And I think all those those three films, those three sort of genres, as it were, they're all quite self-serious. I mean, Bond obviously is ridiculous sometimes, but I think they're going for a serious-minded assassin. If any, do you have these... Kind of buffoonish, one step behind kind of cop characters who seem a bit of a waste of space because you know they're not gonna. There's not gonna be a scene when Hitman sort of, you know, took his shoes off so he can quietly walk up a corridor and he's just got to the door of the hotel room where his target's inside and then the police sort of get handcuffed and handcuff him and go like, "Got you." Mm. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. But as you say that, it you just realise there's no tension in this film. And so much of playing the Hitman games is you having to lay low. Mm. And I, I get there's like a certain amount where it's maybe could be considered boring for the audience. But people watch like horror films and thrillers where... You or know, heist movies by the, the other turn. It's like, yeah, it's where all you're about just, the planning. Yeah, where it is about planning, it is about strategy, but also, yeah, about tension. And it would be nice if there was more of him creeping around trying not to get spotted and... It's part of a course where someone knocks into something and then has to catch it before it makes a noise. But, mm. you know, that's more of what one would expect from a silent assassin. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of... I don't know what the, the visualist version of lip service is, but um, towards the start of the film, he's in a hotel room and he sets up a few sort of booby traps so that if anyone does try and enter his room, he can make a, an escape. But... It's not, doesn't really feel like planning. It's just like you put some gadgets there and then you see, you see the, the cause and effect. You see it happens. It does seem to make a massive explosion. So if somebody did, if somebody did sort of go into his room to, I don't know, 
make the bed or something <laughs> and he was uh, right next to the door it would he would blow up yeah i think this is the big the big issue i guess with this film is it's that it, it wants to be an action movie you you watch the dvd special features and the directors are constantly saying how cool this is how cool he is and and we want to make a great action movie when it's it's just that's just not hitman yeah the the plot is more of the political thriller mold but then the film tries to be an action movie and then you're drafting all this complicated intrigue on top of very stupid stuff. Mm. And it just doesn't sit right. I mean, the, the plot properly kicks off when um, Agent 47 is um, tasked, employed, to assassinate the Russian president, who is called... Belikov. Belikov. That's a good Russian president name. And then he believes he, he does this. Um, again, both this um, the, the scene set in Africa and all the gunfire, as I say, very, very bloody shots. He he absolutely shoots the Russian president in the head. and Pops like a melon. Exactly. And uh, a Russian melon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then he's informed by his... Um, I like that he's got like a robot. He's got a laptop where the voice of Diane pops out. Diana. Diana. Diana is Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. I got a real Twin Peaks yeah. vibe off this. <laughs> in the games, it's uh, very much a human voice. In one twist I really liked in this film was that it's like a robot voice. And then you do get the normal voice a bit later on when she basically informs him he's been double-crossed in, the, in the, her human voice. But at the start, when he's being employed, Diana says the person survives the person survived their headshots and there was a witness and so he has to assassinate the witness i wonder who how he could possibly think there's a witness because he was alone on a rooftop with a sniper rifle maybe it's because he's so obviously an assassin (laughs) (laughs) he should be wearing like a a production bomber jacket saying hitman on it (laughs) and then he goes to assassinate nika and Something in her eye makes him realise that sh- he she did not see him. Yes. And that stops him from assassinating her. Yes, because he approaches her mm-hmm. and when she looks at him, she doesn't do anything to suggest, doesn't register that... She has seen him before, mm-hmm. whereas if you were the witness to an assassination and then the assassin approached you in the street, you would probably... Freak out. Freak out. And she doesn't, so he pauses, stops, realises it's not her, but then someone else shoots... At him? At him. Right, so okay, let's unpack this a bit. Is, is this one of these plots where if he just killed that woman and then no one tried an assassination attempt, he would have just carried on with his, like... Life. Well, but I, I think the only reason the other assassin shot him was because he didn't shoot her. What you're telling me is the second hitman was there as a contingency to kill Agent 47 if Agent 47 cottoned on that this was a a fake out, a double cross, this, that and the other. Yeah, I um, think. We should say it is revealed that this is big old double cross. But the, the plan was that the Russian president has a body double. And the body double put the hit on the Russian president just so that the body double could adopt the Russian president's role. Yes. Okay, we got there in the end. Yeah. I think it's just a no loose ends 
contingency mm. strategy. Yeah. I miss a good one. I wish it was like a Marvel film where we just get a glowing MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about Nika, played by Olga Kurilenko? Yeah. Not the best actress. Okay. Uh, I'm being kind of mean. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I th- I want to like her because she's a Bond girl. But this was this was like before she was a Bond girl. This is just before she was a Bond girl. And actually, since then, I've seen her in Grand Budapest Hotel, where she has a very small role, I believe, playing a maid. And, um, you know, it's such a big cast. Many people do have small roles. But I think with Wes Anderson, he really sort of... I'm, I'm actually not a big fan of a lot of his films, but I feel Wes Anderson is very much a man who gets exactly what he wants with, with every performance. So he, he cast her perfectly in that film. So I don't think the director paid much special attention to her performance in this. I mean, the main thing about her performance in this is that she's very naked. Yes. Hitman, the games have had their share of controversy. I think my first ever com- video game, Willy, in uh, Hitman 2... You can okay. wa- you can watch someone have a wee front ways and they they they, they do a shake with ragdoll phy- physics, and I was really appreciative of that ragdoll Willy. Okay, how erotic! <laughs> Incredibly, that wasn't what I was going to talk about. You should have seen DK mode. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey Kong's um, Donkey Kong Junior. <laughs> Diddy Kong is Diddy Kong. <laughs> The Hitman games, the controversy in some respects has been surrounding actually their marketing and they did an advertising campaign where it had like a dead supermodel and it said beautifully executed Mm. and then they did another advertising campaign where it was uh, a sort of CG movie of Hitman taking out all these sexy nuns in a big bloodbath. So it's it's had this kind of weird sex and death imagery in its promotional material. The nakedness in this, because the character, she is a, a prostitute and she is owned by Belikov and exploited and abused. And it's one of those instances where there's a sort of brutal flashback scene of her being sort of whipped uh, while she's naked. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, that's uncomfortable, but that's kind of coupled with her just being constantly topless and trying to ride 47. And it's like, yeah, she's topless. She's owning her breasts. She's empowered. But but you no. know it's just there for <laughs> titillation. No, bollocks. Um, it goes back to the whole Game of Thrones thing. I, I'm very much for the opinion that nudity absolutely can be used as a, as, as plots device and, and has a place. Um, but you can tell when it's there for titillation, and Game of Thrones sometimes did it for plot reasons, sometimes did it for totally titillation. And the same goes for this. You've got a woman, full frontal nudity here, being um, whipped and tortured, and that would have a place, but you know it's there, you know it's there for the lads, lads, lads type crowd, and uh, yeah, it's not so great. And But, I mean, I feel that her, the rest of her nudity when she's walking around would... I think it'll function a lot better if uh, Timothy Oliphant, or if, if the character was much more of a robot. I think the, the, the issue is that he seems more of a human being. He doesn't really show an interest, but I feel if he was completely stony-faced, if he was completely granite. I mean, um, one character this film reminded me of was 
was a different interpretation of Judge Dredd in cinema because in the Stallone Judge Dredd he's got too much backstory and too, and he's got too much of an emotional connection to the villain in that film and in uh, the more recent Dredd movie Carl Urban is is his, his any character development is totally glacial and you know if if Carl Urban's Dredd was surrounded by lots of nudity and nakedness he would just like grimace and just have his mind on the job mm. I don't think this film quite rides that line very well and I think yeah the nudity is there for for the lads if he was completely stony-faced about it, maybe it would be almost too grim to also have that stuff. Mm. And the fact that, yes, Oliphant is more sensitive to her and, you know, more caring to an extent. Mm. And I think that helps slightly cut through the more exploitative nature of... Mm. The character it reminds me of um i think mad max fury road where we're told about the sexual abuse um but we don't have to see it and yeah i think they just wanted to show a, a little bit of uh, uh boobies in this movie but kurilenko um, is in the position of being uh in as you say she was a bond girl in quantum of solace and then in johnny english strikes again so she's oh. done the two greatest spy franchises of all time guess what i i have seen that film in the cinema and i actually really loved it <laughs> and i thought she was great so scratch everything i said it's not a brilliant film by the any stretch of the imagination but there was enough silly fart gags in it and she was playing a femme fatale okay and i think it's always fun when like a bond actor or actress shows up in like a spy film i, I note that ray fines is in a the King's Man, which is the upcoming Kingsman prequel, and I just always think it's a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, two other credits I should point out. She was also in The Death of Stalin. Which, yes, okay, she's good in that. Which stars the next hitman, Rupert Friend, as Hitman. Yes, okay. And we'll get onto that in a future episode. And also in a future episode, she appears in Matt's Pain. So we will see older Kurilenko return check out that listeners in the space of like two minutes I'm gone from this actress is kind of shit to oh she's actually literally brilliant in everything I've seen <laughs> <laughs> yeah no she's great in Death of Stalin um, playing a vindictive or a vengeful I should say uh, pianist is it she's, and um, and yeah in Johnny English Reborn that's my recommendation when I was a little girl I had this little squirrel you know what black stripes on the back Chipmunk. oh yeah that's right Chipmunk. his name was tishka i'm sorry sir but this is for another gentleman table 26 that's right my mistake you know what table that is i saw the layout when we came in do you remember everything you see no not everything what's the soup of the day Red lentil and mint with sautéed onions and diced tomatoes. The woman sitting two tables behind you. What's she wearing? With the red hair and silk dress facing you? Yeah. That's not a woman. What color underwear am I wearing? You're not wearing any underwear. But I forget, she, she is the mistress of the Russian president. Does she have any relationship at all to the body double or is she just a loose end? 
I think she is just someone who was close to Belikov and I think needs taking out as a result, perhaps, because that that's mm. like the only... I'm, I don't know, other contact floating around him? I'm quite happy to hand wave anything I don't understand to tying up loose ends, to be honest. Yeah, I'm just going to say that. It's the excuse for everything, because I, that's like an assassination. That's like what that's what like people tell hitmen to do, is don't forget, no loose ends. Mm, I mean, I will, hands up, totally honest. I watched this two days ago, and as anyone I was reading the Wikipedia entry before we started recording, that I realised, oh, he was the Russian president. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. With Agent 47's position compromised, he must escape from his hotel room. Mm -hmm. He does so with the aforementioned booby traps exploding the whole gaff, and uh, lands in another hotel room where some kids are playing Hitman. Yeah, because you bring a complete game, entire games console to your hotel room <laughs> to play Hitman, and they're too young to be playing Hitman. Gosh, I suppose, what parenting? Well, the director, we haven't actually talked about him, but uh, Xavier Gens, mm. Xavier Gens from France, he apparently was a fan of the games and he completed all of the three games, I think, which were available at the time before this movie came out. So he escapes the room, but he does his crisscross double arm things like he does... Like he's shooting the good and evil angels on his shoulders. <laughs> pew pew. <laughs> um, that's why he's got no morals. <laughs> this this sequence does indeed have a lot of, I would say, iconography from the, uh, I would say, cinematography from the video games. There's a lot of high angle shots looking down at him as he's walking up a corridor, and yes, he's crossing his arms while holding his. Uh, his guns, so they have a very distinctive name which I've completely forgotten. Silver Ballers, I think. Something like that. Because again, if you're a secret super duper assassin, you want the most reflective guns you could possibly <laughs> find. I noticed he had this the button on the scene is when he jumps out of the window into a river, uh, escaping the, the clutches of Interpol. And again, it's one of those tropes in action films where apparently rivers also function as teleports because <laughs> if you jump into a river it's absolutely impossible to know where they went when if you just watched it for a, a minute or two he's gonna pop up somewhere like a buoy yeah or a poo stick <laughs> or a poo stick rory yes a murderous deadly poo stick yeah, he does escape and manages to find a suit shop that accepts wet money. <laughs> uh, you so check they... the door to make sure. It has MasterCard and wet money. <laughs> so he manages to get an identical suit to the one he always wears. Mm. He had the choice of, like, a dungarees and a, and a big red hat. <laughs> but this is why John Wick works, because you know that there's places he can get... What's it called? Amnesty? No. I don't think Amnesty. There's, there's, there's home meet. You know, he can't be killed in certain locations. Yeah. Or no, you, what are you reaching something for? Out? They shout it a lot in Hunchback of Notre oh, Dame. Um, God, okay, come on. Because um, it's part of a song. I, can't, I, wanna, I, want, I want this all on, on the recording. Um, it's not Hellfire. That's the other song. Um, <laughs> Sanctuary! Sanctuary! There we go. So, yes. <laughs> There's, but that makes sense. Like that, there are places that he could turn to, 
Mm-hmm. But with this, it's very much just like, I mean, maybe he keeps a credit card in his underpants, I suppose. His barcode is probably like a, a white card or whatever. They just like just scan the back of my head. Oh, perfectly in credit, and he just has to sort of go what, this crab crab walk to the nearest barcode reader. Can you imagine him in Sainsbury's sticking his head in the self scan machine? Just bloop. maybe he, he had a choice of where his barcode could be. Do you want it on your wrists? And uh, no. Do you want it on your I don't know your your hand somewhere useful? No. I'll tell you where. <laughs> I just, I mean, yeah, it's like if you have like an oyster card or something, you wouldn't stick it on the back of your head and just like mm. tap the turnstiles. Do you think um, uh, the organisation does a loyalty card scheme where if you get, if you buy nine assassinations, you get the tenth one free? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, to cut a long story short. Yeah. He manages to track down Nika and decides to protect her. I guess presumably after her two. I guess she is also she has answers because I guess she's the one bit of bit. It was the one clue. Is it weird? Why does she need to be assassinated? That's the mystery. Well, once he's got Nika under his protection, as we mentioned, there's the encounter at the train station, etc. But basically, he needs a helping hand, so he turns to the CIA and mm. his contact there. And uh, to find out a little bit more about what's happened. And effectively, he's been thrown to the wolves. Uh, and because it's only 47 and Nika who know that Belikov is a double. Mm. In order for the CIA to help him, he also has to do a favour for them. And that favour is killing off Belikov's brother, Udre, who is uh, into slave girls, drugs, weapons and... Belikov was protecting his brother as a result, but now that Belikov is, you know, officially, well, officially alive, but unofficially dead. <laughs> That's a very <laughs> curious state of affairs. Dracula's like, okay, I'm officially alive, but unofficially, I'm dead. <laughs> Ooh, this is a vampire movie, you say. I'm not saying that, but Belikov's brother does live like one of the vampires in Blade. He does have that kind of lifestyle where it's all... Drugs and guns and mm. justice playing on the speakers. <laughs> yeah. But in order to get to Belikov, he must impersonate a weapons dealer. And this is these scenes are kind of where the film is at its most hitman in the sense of the games. So they go to Istanbul and they find that the arms dealers has a dinner reservation at this place and they decide to book in a reservation at the same time, but not before 47 has stashed some guns in the toilet mm-hmm. and he manages to poison Price who's this arms dealer he's going to impersonate and that makes him forced to go to the toilet and in the toilet he then um, I guess assassinates him? That's what I call it. When well, I, when he, I, when he shoots I... his guard but then he seems to just like it seems like knock, knock unconscious Price. Because he wanted information from Price? No, because we don't see him again. Oh. Maybe he does kill him. Who cares? <laughs> that, well, a, I mean, he's probably, an arms dealer. I mean, I mean, the first thing you'd ask, like, about if, when he goes, when he impersonates Price, you'd think, I don't remember Price being completely fucking bald. I think the idea was that he can impersonate him because they've never met. But you would do your basic intel. And yeah. I think even in that scene, uh, Udre 
brother Belikov is told by one of his guards, this isn't Price. And so he he knows from the start that this mm. isn't him. It's just that managed to get him the meeting. But I, I don't remember Price having glasses or a moustache or a big <laughs> plastic nose. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a big old action sequence here, isn't there? I actually, I mean, I've just got to an age where I, unless an action sequence is, is really exquisite, I actually find this stuff kind of boring. Yeah, it feels very Hitman in the sense that he is dealing with a big sleaze bag and Udre's like a nasty guy and they're trying to emphasize this. And it's like, mm. yeah, I mean, I guess you're trying to sell the fact that we're supporting 47, who is still a killer, but he has morals, whereas this Udre guy like sticks a gun in like some girl's eye and, mm. you know, just plays around with that and is snorting cocaine and just being really greasy and horrible so i guess that's the point but it's just like do i really want to spend this time in this world of squalor because mm. <laughs> you spend it you're in there all day and you just this is your time yeah. this is your day off busman's holiday i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to spend a whole day in squalor and then come home and relax watching someone else in squalor 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 every <laughs> single day <laughs> you know where i went to my holiday squalor parks <laughs> it's really boring and horrible yeah, like I said, the, the action sequence is fine. Udre is shot, and uh, they make their way oh, out of there. No, I think the assassination also prompts a funeral, and I think this leads to the big scene. Yes, that's why he did the killing. Now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't know quite... I, I was going to say, I don't know quite why the body double is going to his non-brother's funeral, but then he is pretending to be the Russian president. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of expected to be there. <laughs> so you're going to attend the funeral, Mr. President? Well, he's not my real brother. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have said that. I hope that even if you were killed and replaced with a body double, your body double would come to my funeral. Um, only if your body double was killed. Oh, and I... <laughs> what the... if we were What's... both replaced by body doubles trying to fool the other one? <laughs> Maybe. I don't... I don't know who I am anymore. It's like face-off times two, so four people switch faces. <laughs> <laughs> if they're going to make a face-off sequel, but they swap buttons. <laughs> Rory doesn't find that funny at all. I'm just not sure about bum prints <laughs> are so unique as to require well, manipulation. Well, they finally have the technology. They might as well use it. It's much more difficult to replace a bum than a face. You do think like each sphincter has its own unique Well, yeah, because pattern. skulls have different bone structure, but you never hear about bum structure. It's an unexplored territory. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's weird. What happens at the funeral? Well, before then, Nika and 47 part ways because he's going in hot. He's going in dangerous. And this is her chance to escape. And the budget ran out. They couldn't pay her. <laughs> this is probably the only time in the movie I had a little laugh. She asks, oh, I don't even know your name. What's your name? And he says, my name. They didn't give me a name. They just signed a number. My number was 47. And she says, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> and I'm not sure she... I'm not sure she de delivered the line like it was a joke. But I think it was a joke. So it's Brother Belikov's funeral. So fake Belikov must attend. 
But in order to get to him, he kidnaps a character we haven't mentioned yet, but maybe we should mention now, Chief Yuri Markklov, who is head of the Russia's secret police, mm -hmm. played by Robert Nepper, um, who's probably best known for Prison Break. It's all been revealed that this fake Belikov went under surgery to look like him, and the inspector has been butting heads with this head of the Russia secret police uh, throughout the movie. And 47 kidnaps him and places him in an elaborate Rubes Goldberg-esque construction in which he's in a bath which will activate a generator if he doesn't call in a hit on Belikov. Or he'll mm. frazzle in the bath and he's got a walkie-talkie which what? he's kind of barbed wired to. That, that whole bathtub thing with the rubber ducky is um, apparently from the games. Yeah, I mean, the games, though, they are like murder simulators. They do have a a dark streak of humour to them, I yeah. feel. I mean, I do. I am sorry to our listeners who are like, perhaps have just watched this and then are like, why are they forgetting so much obvious stuff? But I do, I think, actually, it's around about this point, like the, the start of the third act, where we're introduced to like some sort of Russian general character who seems to have bounced in from a new Ball movie because he's so overacting and he's so shouting and he feels like he's completely... He's just completely out of a different universe. He's galaxy, got... star system. Yeah, he does look a bit like an alien. And it's like, I can't tell whether that's his accent or a strange dub, but he's just like, very well, General. Inspector, we'll take it from here. Mm. <laughs> Is he the one who orders a CGI helicopter as well in this scene? Yeah. It's a very computer-generated helicopter. I mean, fair play, you can't really destroy a Russian Orthodox church. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's quite in the budget. Your man has made a mistake. There is no exit. He's trapped. Doesn't make sense. Why would he... Trust unto God. And he shall direct your path. Shit, he set this up from the very beginning. What even is that helicopter for? Who does it shoot? Well, for reasons too complicated to get into, 47 mates off with the fake Belikov and they head into, I guess, the dome of the church and lock the door, but there's a rival assassin in there, and there's a bit of a strap in which 47 rips his ear off. Oh, 47 wins the fight, does he? Yeah. Although, <laughs> it, it culminates in 47, he's not the other hitman out, and then he just, like, smushes his head. But if you go to the gag reel on the DVD, it's just Timmy Fiolifant, like, smushing this rubber head repeatedly, <laughs> just making it squeeze and squeeze like a stressed toy. Mm, I think that's probably the one thing he kept from this <laughs> shoot. I think, yeah, I written here, it's, um, it's not just any assassin, he's a killer monk. He's dressed yeah. like a monk. 47, killing the double of Belikov, it just doesn't feel dramatic. It just sort of happens. It should be this big crescendo, and it just sort of happens. And yeah, as I said right at the start, I feel this film, it starts at a pace and then it just becomes too bogged down in, I want to say pretentious, but it just just double crossing and double crossing and, 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 and side winding, but with no real purpose. It just it's, it's, They're doing it just because they can 
rather than there being a smart reason for it to happen. Yeah, I, I, it does get bogged down in the nitty gritty. And there's so much we haven't even mentioned. We've barely touched on the inspector and his antics, but all he's really doing is solving the story as it goes along. And we've already worked out what's mm. happening. Well, yeah, he's basically getting to what's just happened. And yeah. He's like, oh, bloody hell. He does find the crucifix key, as we mentioned, in Hitman's suitcase which was left exploded in the hotel room when at the start and the purpose for that is unlocking the door where 47 is sitting having killed belikov so is this like just a general church skeleton key no so again this is the film thinking it's being clever Again, maybe it is being clever and I'm being stupid, but um, his plan, it turns out, to get out of this big old mess he's caused in the, in the church, <laughs> um, his plan was to kill the Belikov double, uh, lock himself in this antechamber, let's say. Let's go with that. Solar, I think I want to say. I think it's become a solar because a helicopter shot it. But anyway, he's in there, all the police arrive, and Interpol agent Mike has the key and... He trusts Mike to do his job and bring him into the, the cop car, let's say, the Interpol car. The Interpol mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Not the gadget mobile. No. <laughs> and then his plan is, because he's he's besties, because 47 is besties with the CIA, the Interpol agent gets stopped by the CIA, do, distracting the Interpol agent enough for him to, to escape. And I think that ending is quite funny because... You've caught your your quarry after three years tracking him down, and then you get distracted for a moment. And again, Jenkins is like, "Oh bloody hell! Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus!" He's he's very he does very. I do like it when like British people show up in American films because they want someone exotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's just like oh, an actor I don't recognise. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, it, and we... then we cut to, I guess it's not three months later. Three months. It's like present day. Well, yeah. They do all the business we talked about earlier. And that could have been cut out of the extreme addiction. He wants to be left alone. And so, yes, he does the setup to suggest (laughs) that the inspector got his man, but the actual 47 has still escaped. It's a fake 47 body or something. I'm going to assume that's like another member of the organization and not just like his neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I'm sure like 47 is like, don't come after me. I promise I won't kill anyone. (laughs) And then he'd kill someone in the very next scene. So um, I've had a lot of fun talking about it, but what do you? How do you feel about Hitman as a whole? I think the problem with Hitman is that it's a diluted version of the games. It's a bit of a diluted version of similar action films. The film was a production of EuropaCorp, which does a lot of Luc Besson produced work and we mentioned that Leon the Professional was an influence on the games and ergo this film but you know we're looking at things like the Transporter series the Taken series some people like those films but this is not even quite as interesting as those either I think the action is just a bit boring and then the rest of it is very rushed plot while I like and appreciate a few choices and a few action beats and squibs, yeah, and the squibs, but for a short film, it's a real drag. 
and just ends up being tedious. I was drinking a large gin and tonic while watching <laughs> this film, and I think I enjoyed my gin and tonic more. I think I mostly agree with that. It's funny, but I, it makes perfect sense when you mention it's made by Europa because I don't. I think their films can be very hit and miss, but they often have things like an incredibly charismatic lead or some really good action in it, um, which sort of papers over some of the pantser aspects of those films. And I just don't think this film quite has a charismatic enough lead. I did say I was a bit of a fan of Timothy Oliphant's performance now, with some distance from the games, but it's it's still not, you know, as I said, he's not a career-making kind of performance, so um, the plot is kind of super-duper messy and, and twisty for twistiness sake, and yeah, the action just kind of bored me. The thing is, is that he is hindered by the role. You can't have a charismatic lead really doing this i'm not sure mm. how you could do that but what you would do is then fill the rest of the cast with more charismatic mm. actors you could have a really engaging entertaining wild villain that he's up against but instead we have just like a pudgy russian <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think yeah my most favorite character probably is that crazy russian general i mentioned a moment ago <laughs> just because um... it's just so out of place mm. and off the wall and just like they signed off on this performance <laughs> you know they they chose this was the best take yeah as i said earlier the games were inspired by the start of the film leon and maybe if they had just made lo- loads of the starts of leon throughout the film <laughs> or maybe just made leon <laughs> that would have been a better film I mean, it passed the time, but yeah, it felt a bit like a slog at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's not a recommendation from me. It ain't a hit. <laughs> it's no hit, that's for sure. It does have one significant defender, though. Yeah. In the BFI Greatest Films of All Time poll of right. 2012, famed philosopher and cultural critic Slavoj Zizek included the Hitman film in his top 10 films of all time. <laughs> Wow. He, he said, this time I opted for pure madness. The list contains only guilty pleasures. This is what I really enjoy. No compromises for high quality or good taste. How many films has he seen? Is it 10? I don't know. He's on the Children of Men DVD talking about the themes of that movie. <laughs> He's been in a few, made yeah. a few films himself. Is it, so his top 10, is it Children of Men, Hitman... Uh, Land Before Time 2, <laughs> Land Before Time 3, Land Before Time 4, I don't know, Russian Ark. <laughs> well, fair play. As, as I think, actually, the very reason this podcast exists and why we try not to be too negative, even when it's a bit of an uphill struggle, is that so many films out there and so many people out there, I know it's profound, isn't it? And um, there's sometimes somebody's favourite film can just not be your cup of tea. Well, that's the contract signed off, an old hitman there. Uh, we'll be tackling um, his friend Rupert's <laughs> uh, instalment at some point in the future. I think once we've um, recovered from this one. But what have we got to look forward to next? What's our next target? We are going to finish off a short trilogy of episodes featuring prominently bald men with our next picture. It's back to bowl. It's Jason Statham. In In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. Mm. There's not many people who would say Uribol films are like a highlight of their 
of their viewing, I suppose. But you know, it's always always fun when we go to one of the big the big names like Uribol or Paul W S Anderson. In the meantime, though, how can people contact us? Keep in touch with games and film. You can find us on all the social media channels: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Games on Film Pod. You can also find our website at gamesonfilm.witsite.com/podcast or you can find it through tinyurl.com slash gofpod. There you can find further links to further games on film-related info, as well as links to be able to support our show. We also have an email address, so get in touch that way too, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter individually. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode and every episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, I think we can stop talking now, because as we all know, silence is golden and deadly. (laughs) Uh, Thanks very much for listening. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.